come to worship the Lord together. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you. We lift you up, God. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Blessed be your name, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. It's always great to come to worship together. Amen. That's what we were made to do. Uh, the creation and fish and animals and trees and all those things they just they do what they made to do and they give God glory through that and you and I were made to worship him and so when we do that we give him even more glory amen for what he's done in our lives and where he's brought us from man he is worthy of it amen and we're thankful to be a part of what God is doing amen in our life and in here in Fort Myers it's so good to see everyone here tonight to come together Amen. We want to have our ushers come to continue in worship tonight as we give unto the Lord. Amen. Of what God has blessed us with. Amen. We want to uh, remember this coming Saturday we've got the Vessels of Honors meeting, ladies meeting here at 1030. Uh, if you want to bring a dish, uh, see Sister Bruce for more information. Amen. And we want to remember those that are, uh, those that are out. Uh, sickness is going around, amen, and so we want to keep each other covered in prayer, amen, that we will all uh, uh, make it back here in point in time to worship together, amen, let's go before the Lord to, in prayer tonight, Lord Jesus, God, we thank you, Lord, for this time, we thank you for your many blessings, Lord, for all that you've poured out upon our lives, God, we come to worship you, to give you praise and glory. Lord, that is due to your name, God. We ask you to touch each and every need, every situation. We pray for those that are sick, those that are out, and those that are traveling. Your hand be upon them, God. We give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Let's come and give up the Lord and your mercy, for your love and all that you've done for us, God. We give you the praise due to your name, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. As we're standing, we're going to uh, continue in our study about the Romans, righteous Romans, uh, coming near the end. Our text for this series has been Romans 1 and 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Amen. How many are living by faith uh, each and every day? Amen. Turn to a few people, greet them in the name of the Lord. You may be seated tonight.
Amen. A, um, uh, please keep in prayer uh, Sister Veronica Johnson. Her, her sister passed away the other day, and she's uh, traveling up there. So pray for her and the family in this time. Amen. It's always a, a hard time. Um, and so keep them in your prayers. Uh, it's been a few weeks uh, since we've uh, picked up the Romans we've been talking about. And so a brief recap of uh, the chapters that we've been going through. If you remember, chapter 1 explained how uh, the Gentiles, they were uh, they're guilty of sin and they needed a Savior. Um, chapter 2, Paul turns his attention to the Jews, that they aren't any better either, uh, that they also need to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. And chapter 3, Paul makes the point that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So every person, uh, Jew or Gentile, uh, needs to obey the gospel of Jesus and it, the Jews had the law of God, the law of Moses, to teach them uh, of, of how to live righteously and what God expects. The Jews did not, the Gentiles did not have that, but they had uh, nature and conscience to teach them. If they would listen to uh, nature and listen to that still small voice that is uh, close to everyone, if we seek God with our heart. And. Um, Everyone is without excuse, uh, Jews and Gentiles, and so we all uh, need the gospel as Paul was trying to tear down the walls of, uh, between a Jew and Gentile. Chapter 4, Paul illustrated the law of Moses doesn't have the power to save. Um, it doesn't have the power to declare anybody righteous. It, it just kind of shows what is good, what is bad. He, he uses two names here in chapter 4. Examples he used were Abraham and David, how uh, they were without the law. And apart from that, uh, God still declared them righteous. And, and then in chapter 5, Paul begins to explain some of the blessings of being justified in the eyes of God. Um, and it is justified, never sinned. That's... we. Stand and appear innocent in God's eyes uh, that is being justified by faith. Chapter 6, Paul said that a, a believer should not sin or continue in sin, that God forbid that we do that or strive to go in that direction because we are, we are dead to sin. And, and so how can we that are dead to things uh, want to pursue those things? Chapter 7, he explains the ability to come out from under the power of sin cannot be accomplished uh, by depending upon the law or depending upon the flesh and our natural abilities because those are, uh, 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 they come up short. Our, our, our flesh is corrupted um, and so we can't help ourselves. The law doesn't have us, give us the power to do that. It shows what is right and what is wrong, but it doesn't give us the power to fight and com combat and defeat uh, that power of sin and carnality. And so we need something uh, to help us out in this battle. And that's where Paul describes in chapter 8 what this was, uh, the aid, our help, uh, our comforter is the Spirit of God. Uh, and the Spirit of God is the answer to the problems that humanity faces. No matter what the situation is, uh, you need to get a hold of God in your life, and that's where the starting point of the turnaround is. Uh, and so the Spirit of God gives the believer the power to live above sin and to live uh, uh, from uh, free from the law of sin and death and gives us the freedom to live the life that God has called us to live. And that is above uh, where we are living. He's always trying to call us to a higher plane, uh, a higher dimension in Him. And so the calling that God has for us is always for us to, to reach for. Um, uh, we, we may attain in parts, but we want to, uh, God's purpose for us is a lifelong uh, mission uh, to continue to draw closer to Him. 
Uh, and so we've never really uh, attained until we've woken up on the other side. Uh, and so uh, where God is calling us doesn't mean that we're not going to go through hardships, doesn't mean we're not going to face any bad thing. Uh, Paul told us that if we want to reign with Christ and to share and partake in his inheritance, uh, then we should be okay to share in his sufferings. If we want the good side, we got to be willing to go through some of the hard, hardships that even Jesus went through, uh, sufferings. Uh, and so whatever we go through, it is to work together for the good. It's to work out all the impurities, all the things that God is unpleased with in our life. That through every hardship and every trial, somehow it is molding me and you to be more like Him. And even though we may not be able to see its purpose or see the ending of it, God's going to bring us through whatever trial, whatever fire we need to go through uh, to be made more into His image. Um, and so that is the, one of the purposes of uh, persecution and hardships is to uh, get rid of the things in our lives that are maybe weighing us down or distractions, taking us away from what God is uh, wanting to do in us. And, and so uh, we, we ended uh, our last study talking about chapters 9 through 11, and that's talking about Israel uh, the big question about Israel and uh, what their status is, their current status and their future status and all of this because it's, it's, it's changed the way that they, uh, the Israel hold on to. The, the law of Moses is different than what Paul has been teaching. Uh, it's a completely different uh, living. Um, and, and so uh, Israel would not let go of the law of Moses and so they missed out on what God had for them. Uh, they could not see that Jesus fulfilled the law, fulfilled everything about it. And so if they just embrace Jesus Christ, they would embrace it all. Uh, but yet they, they could not see that. And so Paul talked about Israel as the natural branches. Um, and we, the Gentiles, are the wild branches. And how we were grafted in. Uh, to all of this by the grace of God, that he broke off some of the natural branches and, and he allowed us, uh, a, a, a strange or foreign people, to come in and to be a part of this all by the grace of God. And Paul said that even in this, even in uh, Israel's unbelief, that salvation came to the entire world because, because of their unbelief. And if that's the case, then what is going to happen when Israel opens up their eyes and they do come to faith, they do believe, and they do see uh, what, it, what it really is? Uh, I'll tell you what's going to happen. Heaven is going to open up, and, and Jesus is going to return to this world once Israel turns to him and starts crying out to him as their Messiah and their Savior. And he's going to come, and he's going to bring the kingdom of heaven to this world, and this world is never going to be the same once Israel actually comes to faith. And, and so chapter 11 ended with Paul, his, it ends his discussion about the, the doctrine uh, of uh, being justified by faith. Uh, and that kind of wraps up the, the doctrine aspect of, of, of salvation and faith and, and justification and, and, and starting in chapter 12, he, he, he now turns his attention to, to more practical matters uh, of how to live. Um, and he, he laid out the foundation of, of the doctrine. And now he's like, he's going to, how this applies to our life, uh, our daily life as Christians. And so the remaining few chapters in the book of Romans demonstrates uh, the essential connection between doctrine and lifestyle. It shows us the, the connection between doctrine and lifestyle, what you, what you believe and how you live. You can, there's no separation there. Uh, Paul explains this in chapter 12. He makes the connection. You cannot separate the two, doctrine and lifestyle. They go hand in hand. One is not complete without the other. 
Because you cannot have doctrine without also having a lifestyle that attaches to the doctrine that you believe. So many people might think that the doctrine that you believe is one thing and, and the things you, you practice or memorize or, or quote at, at church is one thing and, and your life and the way you live is another thing. That's, that's not true. They're, they're not. They're, they are interconnected and you cannot disconnect them. Your doctrine, the, the very principles of truth that you believe, has a direct effect on the way that you're going to live your life. Um, that's just standard operating procedures really for anything in life. Um, and let's, let's put pause on church for a minute and let's just talk about just the, the business world out there. Uh, every company out there has a mission statement, uh, a vision statement. They have core principles that they, they govern themselves by, that anchor, and they direct their, their company. This is who we are as a company. This is what we value as a company. Uh, and so you're going to tell me that they can have all of these values, and they can have this and that and as core beliefs, and but then in their everyday, day-to-day operations, it's just kind of whatever they want to do. Uh, it's not how it works because it's all connected uh, somehow. They're, what they do in their day-to-day business operations is connected to their values and connected to their core principles that guide and govern them as a, as a business. And, and if it's connected in the business world, how, how much more is it connected with uh, doctrine and life and we're talking about faith, and we're talking about the souls of mankind, that's got to be even more connected than some kind of business out there, that the doctrine that we believe is going to be a reflection in our lifestyle uh, because you cannot separate the two. And so what does it say when you see a, a sleazeball Christian? What does it say? Well, this is what you say. His lifestyle probably matches his doctrine. A sloppy life, you're going to have sloppy doctrine, right? Because they're connected. You cannot disconnect them. Uh, a pure life, a holy life is going to have connected to a, a holy doctrine, a pure doctrine, a, a one of truth. It, it, it's impossible to be exposed to the apostolic doctrine of Acts 2.38 and not have it impact your life. Uh, it's going to have an impact on the way you live your life. You, you can't be baptized in Jesus' name and, and fill with the Spirit of God and to just go on to live the way you've always lived. It's not going to, it doesn't happen. Why? Because uh, a new doctrine has been inserted into your heart and therefore it's going to have a direct effect on the way you live your life. You can't, you can't live, and, and live through and experience Romans chapter 1 through 11 and ha- not have it change your life and not have it impact your everyday life. And, and so Paul breaks it down here in chapter 12, uh, beginning about the, the, the application of how it actually plays out in our life. Uh, how a Christian, a, a member of the church, uh, should conduct themselves. Chapter 12 is, is how to live based on what we just read, verses 1 through 11. Uh, chapters 1 through 11. And so he even breaks it down a little bit further to uh, our relationship with God and our relationship with the body of Christ and then our relationship with others. All of this is wrapped up in chapter 12. And so first and foremost, the way we conduct ourselves with God, he addresses that first uh, because uh, every other relationship is going to stem from how we uh, address and and, uh, view God. Uh, How our relationship is with God is going to determine how our relationship with everything else, every other relationship is because if we don't value our relationship with God, the Almighty, we're not really going to value a relationship, any other relationship, right? If, if somebody doesn't uh, uh, trust in God and trust in the Word of God and live by the Word of God, uh, how do you think they're going to treat you? 
Um, if, if they're not faithful to the word of God, uh, you can't put too much faith and trust in them because if they're going to do that to God, who are you compared to God? Uh, and so every relationship stems from our relationship with God. Uh, and so starting off in verse 1, uh, he talks about our relationship with God. Uh, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, uh, and so therefore, what is therefore? Uh, therefore, it's because all of what he just said in, in chapters 1 through 11. Because of what I just laid everything out in all these chapters, now I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Uh, we, we know this verse. Uh, we quote it often. It's definitely a part of our doctrine as an apostolic. Uh, and so this is not strange to us. Um, and because it is not strange to us uh, and, and we adhere to it, I, I would surmise that the, our lifestyle is reflective of, of these verses and that our our lifestyle, we stand out apart from others, even other Christians who may not even know what Romans 12, 1 says. But because we know when we're familiar with it, uh, it's going to impact our life and, and be visible in our life. Uh, and so after all that God has done in your life, after all the work God has done in chapters 1 through 11, laying out justification by faith, laying out all that doctrine and what, what we believe. He, he says the very least that you can do, that your reasonable service is to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Your body incorporates your whole being. So you can't just say, well, just sacrifice this part and uh, just a little bit of this part or that part. But the whole body is the whole person, uh, and, and that whole person gets put on the altar of sacrifice. Uh, we are to become that living sacrifice because of what Paul just laid out. Because of all of that, your reasonable thing you can do is present your body as a living sacrifice. And, and you can look out in the, the sphere of Christianity, and you can tell... Who includes this verse as part of their doctrine or not? It would seem that a lot of Christians maybe don't know about this verse or don't believe in this verse, but yet they believe in Jesus, but they don't believe in serving him uh, because Paul states that your basic form of service is to present yourself as a living sacrifice. It's one of your basic ways your, your most basic way to serve the Lord. Uh, and everyone out there believes in Jesus, but apparently not everybody's serving him because um, who's presenting their bodies a living sacrifice. People's sacrifice probably ends uh, because it's acceptable unto us and not him. Uh, if it's acceptable unto us, if what we've done is good enough for us, then then we, we've done enough here, or we, we've given enough, or, or we've sacrificed enough, and then we're, all, we're, we're done with that. That's, that's good enough for me, but is it good enough for God? And uh, we're not called to be a, a sacrifice acceptable unto us, but it's to be acceptable unto God. Uh, because his level of acceptance uh, is much higher than what we're going to accept that. Um, ours is way short of what God finds acceptable. Because isn't that what, uh, what, how mankind got into this mess in the first place? Let's just, let's just, this is acceptable, this is good enough for me, and so let's just go with this. That's how we get ourselves in trouble when it becomes acceptable unto us. Uh, because what's acceptable unto God is a burnt offering, is a complete sacrifice, is, is, a, is a sacrifice that stays upon the altar even after it's charred, it's, it's burnt, it's, it's burned down to the ashes. Uh, and so do you think that's where 
you and I or any natural person would say, well, that's where, uh, that's good enough for me when it just burnt to ashes. Often as soon as we may start feeling some pain or feeling some heat, we start squirming and we'll try to get off the altar and say, well, that's, you know, that's good enough for me. I've I felt a little bit of touch, and I don't want to go anymore. That's acceptable unto me. And as long as uh, it's acceptable unto us, we're always going to fall short of where God wants us to go, right? Because we have to be a living sacrifice acceptable unto God. And whenever God says we're done, then that's when we're done. Didn't Paul write in Romans chapter 6 that we are dead, dead to sin? dead to our former life, and if we are dead, then that makes being a sacrifice to God a whole lot easier because we don't have any feelings or anything left, right? It's just we're already dead, and so whatever God wants to do with us and use us for, we're okay with because we have no opinions because we left that uh, at the altar when we died out to our will and our desires and our, our cares, and so the easiest way uh, for it all is just to uh, be that living sacrifice and uh, die out to our old self and die out to our kingdom and our ways and let God have his way. And so uh, uh, verse 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Uh, obviously, we, we know that as well, connected with, with verse 1. This is all, all in our uh, devotion and our dedication to God uh, because of what he has done. Uh, and so all the work that God has done in the first, cha- first 11 chapters should be played out and they should be evident in our lifestyle so that we can prove and show others what God has done for us. And so that's how a member of the church should conduct themselves in our relationship towards God because of what he has done is we are to be that living sacrifice to, to show off what God has done and to show off his perfect will being done in our lives so that others will, will, will see the transformation that has taken place in our life and will, will want that for themselves. They'll see some hope inside of us. They'll see that change. Uh, uh, they'll see that uh, who we used to be and now who we are, somebody completely different. Why? It's because we've been transformed by the Spirit of Almighty God, and it's evident in our lifestyle and that others can see it. Uh, and so that's what it's all about. And so and Paul addresses after, after verse 2, he begins to, uh, address how we should conduct ourselves in relation to uh, the church body, the, 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 the body of Christ as a whole. Uh, verse 3, for I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, uh, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. I think maybe Paul was uh, subtly reminding everybody about maybe chapters 1 through 3, how, how nobody is worthy. Everyone has, everyone has fallen short. There's no one that is righteous on their own, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and nothing has changed once you're born again and you get part of the church. Hey, we're all sinners saved by grace, and there's nobody higher than the other. I mean, we're all lucky to be here by the grace of God. Uh, and so uh, we're not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think uh, because really uh, we, we don't deserve to be here. Uh, and so uh, he moves on for as we have have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, everyone members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the portion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, 
or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, and he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Uh, and so explaining some of the, uh, the giftings in the body of Christ in the church uh, now that we are part of it. And uh, all of these giftings that are given to us by God uh, are to bless the church body and are for its edification. Uh, and so the giftings that each of us have, we must always remember uh, what Paul said as, as he uh, mentioned in this section, um, not to think more highly of himself. Uh, some people can get uh, carried away with, with the giftings and uh, can be filled with uh, self-righteousness uh, or pride or I have, I have such and such gift and this and this. Uh, and, and again, uh, not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think because uh, God can just as easily remove us from the body and give that gift to somebody else, and they can come and fill our spot. Uh, and so if we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, then uh, God's got to remind us somehow that, hey, we're really nothing, uh, and we really don't deserve to be here. Because remember in chapter 11, if, if God did not spare the natural branches, uh, Jews, if he broke them out, uh, and grafted some other people in, we must remember that we are the ones that are grafted in. We're the ones that are taped into this. Uh, and the only reason that we are here is because of the grace of God. Uh, and so because of what God has done in our lives, we are going to present ourselves to a service to God, and we're going to conduct ourselves appropriately within the body of Christ, all because of what he has done. Uh, and so... Uh, and then lastly, he, he, Paul moves on uh, to not just talking about our relationship with God and, our, and within the church briefly, but now he's going to finish the chapter 12 uh, talking about how we should treat others and how uh, this gospel should be evident in our lives towards others. Um, Romans 12, uh, 9, let love be without dissimulation which means uh, basically without hypocrisy. The, uh, your love should be genuine and it should be real. Uh, it, it should not be shallow or fake or, or pretending. Uh, the love that God showed us in the previous chapters that we talked about is an unconditional love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That isn't some kind of shallow love that God showed to us. He wasn't pretending to like us or, or, or just being, uh, being nice to us. No, he had an unconditional love that he showed towards us. He showcased that towards us. And in the same manner, uh, we should do the same for others. We should do the same for others because if we can't love someone enough to forgive them, for their actions, then God's not going to forgive us. That's what he said. If we won't show others love, then God, I can't give you my love, right? Uh, after all that God has done for us, who are we to, to deny somebody forgiveness? Who are we to hold some grudges or hold bitterness against somebody? Can you imagine the, the amount of uh, anger and bitterness that God can hold against us? and we're going to hold something uh, against one little thing somebody did, uh, we got to be careful because uh, if, we do, if we do that, then God can do that as well, and he, he can do a much better job than we can do to somebody. Uh, and so let our love be without dissimulation. It should be uh, clear. It should be uh, 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 genuine. It should be loving. Um, abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Uh, and so our love for God should cause us to hate evil. It should cause us to hate evil. Our, our love for God uh, should be so strong that we hate evil. God hates evil. Uh, whatever God hates, we should hate because uh, we have his spirit and we should love him with everything in our, our being. And so 
Uh, it's more than just labeling something, oh, that's bad. No, we should abhor it. We should hate it. We, we, we should not want any part of it. We should, it should put a bad taste in our mouth at the thought of it or at the sight of it because we, we abhor it so much. That's what the love of God in us should do to us. Uh, and that could be a danger for you and I if we don't, do not abhor evil. If we do not abhor it, if we don't hate it, but if we're okay with it. If we're, if we're indifferent about it or uh, uh, if we're okay with something, we have maybe neutral feelings. Yeah, I know it's, it's not good, but is it really all that bad? Uh, that kind of thinking is not, that's compromising and that's not good for anybody. Uh, uh, we, we wouldn't let our kids anywhere near a rattlesnake. Not for a single second. For uh, I mean, we would do everything we can to snatch our kids away and kill that thing or do whatever. That's that's abhorring that snake. That's that's hating it with every bar, with every ounce of our being. Uh, and so that's how we should view evil in our lives. Uh, just the same uh, that we don't want it, that near uh, our lives, our children, and our homes. We don't want any part of it, anything that resembles that kind of evil. We don't want uh, to deal with any of that in our life. That's what uh, our, our hatred for evil and sin should be like. And obviously, uh, there are there's a world full of sinners. Um, and we, we, we are not told to hate them. Uh, we are told to hate sin and, and abhor evil. We, it's, the, it's the sin, it's the, the, the spiritual wickedness and darkness behind it that we hate. But it's not the person. Uh, because we were once in their shoes, weren't we? Uh, and, and so we are to abhor uh, that which is evil and cleave to uh, that which is good. Uh, and so that should drive uh, our, our holiness, our separation from this world. We should not want to get close to the world uh, because it's, it's, it's bound by sin and corruption. And, and we should abhor that stuff. And so we should be wanting to keep our distance from that. Uh, and so the, the more that we do that, the better it is because we are uh, cleaving to the things that are good. Uh, and that comes from God. Uh, in verse 10, he says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honoring, preferring one another. Again, tying that back to uh, let your love be uh, without dissimulation, without uh, 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 hypocrisy, that we should be loving one another. As Jesus said in John 13, A new commandment I have given unto you, that ye love one another. As I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love towards one another. Uh, and so what happens when somebody comes in the church and they, they see somebody, a brother or sister, they're at odds with one another. They have bitterness or anger towards somebody. Uh, what does that say? Well, does that Bible would then label us not as a disciple? The way that the world's going to know we are uh, his disciples is the way we uh, love one another and uh, even love our enemies and love those uh, and pray for them that persecute us and hurt us and all these things. That's uh, the way that we are an example uh, unto this world is by the way that we just love uh, not just our friends, our family members, but love everybody. Um, uh, and so Romans 12, 11, uh, not slothful in business. Um, that's not talking about regular business. That's just talking about our, our, our duties to God, our, our service to God. Don't be slothful in our uh, service to God. Uh, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Fervent literally means uh, so hot that you're boiling. That's what fervent means. And so uh, we should not be uh, lukewarm. We should not be cold. We should not be lazy or apathetic with our service to God because Paul here is specifically calling that out, that we should not be those things. 
uh, we should be boiling over with what the Lord has done for us. All that God has done for us and all that he's brought us from in our lives and, and saved us from, uh, we should be boiling, boiling over with what God is doing uh, in us and through us. And if we are not fervent, if we are not boiling over, uh, then we've lost a connection somewhere. Uh, we, we've lost, uh, we've got some distance between us and God or us and the altar, uh, between us and what God has done for us. Uh, our, our mind is elsewhere. Uh, we've maybe lost our first love somewhere uh, because if we stay close to the altar, if we are that living sacrifice, which means we are on that altar um, as often as God calls us there, uh, we are next to the fire. We are next to the coals of the altar. And the longer that you're close to the coals, the hotter you're going to get. And the pretty soon you're going to start boiling over. Uh, and so if we're not fervent in our spirit, in spirit and fervent in our, our, our pursuits after the God, then we need to grab a hold of the altar and stay there a little longer. Just talking about our duties as a, a member, uh, a believer, uh, because of what God has done for us, the practical living to uh, Romans, what we've read about. In Romans 12, 12, rejoicing in hope. Uh, we always have hope, right? No matter what this world looks like, no matter how dark it turns, we still have hope. We still have something to hold on to. We still have uh, the light of God in, the, in our hearts, shining in our hearts. Uh, and so, therefore, we should always be rejoicing in some manner. Why? Because we have hope. People in this world, they, they probably lost their hope. You, they, if they put their hope in the governments or systems or or or. or, or companies or whatever, and those aren't always going to be there for them, but uh, uh, we have hope that we can anchor our faith and trust in, uh, and so we should always be rejoicing in hope, and, and people should always notice that there's something different about why are you so happy in such a world like this. Well, I'll tell you why. Look what Jesus done for me, and that's not the end because Jesus is coming soon, that there's going to be a, a light in a, in a dark time, and, and his return is very nigh, and so that's what I'm looking forward to. That's why I'm happy because his return is nigh. Uh, and so rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. Does anyone actually have patience while in tribulation? I, I'm ready for it to be over. And so obviously my patience runs out quick in tribulation. Uh, but Paul here seems to maybe be recapping what he mentioned earlier in chapter 5. He says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also have access by faith into this grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulations work with patience, and patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us, unto us. And so, um, uh, there, those are practical ways that we are to live, uh, always being rejoicing and uh, uh, enduring the tribulation with a smile on our face the best that we can do it, because we know that God is at work doing something. Amen. And so rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, and continuing instant in prayer. Uh, being faithful and persistent in prayer. Uh, and so these are the characteristics that, that and reasonable duties of a Christian. And Paul doesn't skip over prayer. And this is not the only time he mentions uh, praying as a part of, uh, of uh, our lifestyle. Uh, but we are to be instant in season and out. We're, we're to be always uh, praying without ceasing. Uh, and so Paul is obviously a big component of, of how important prayer is in our life. And he's here telling us to, if you want to be a practical, uh, an apostolic, an actual apostolic that's living it out, 
Uh, you got to be uh, continuing instant in prayer and, and being ready to pray uh, whenever it is called upon. And, and so surely, after all that God has done for us, we can take out some time in our day and talk with the one who saved us and redeemed us and spend time with our Lord and Savior. After all, it's not like he saved, uh, saved us so that we can just go and do whatever we want and start our own new life without him. No, he saved us so that we can walk with him and have a relationship with him. Uh, that's the whole purpose of, of us being reconciled unto him so that we can go back to that Garden of Eden experience where uh, the Spirit of God can come down and walk with man side by side as one, uh, and so that is what we are called to do, and Paul calls it out here uh, as a part of our, our daily life uh, tied to our doctrine, uh, and so it should play out evident in our life. In verse 13, uh, distributing to the necessity of saints, given the hospitality, uh, as, a, as a member of the church, we should be willing to help one another out. Uh, anyway, anybody needs some help or uh, don't be afraid to lend a helping hand or do whatever you can. Why? Because God extended his hand towards us. He, he lifted us up out of the miry clay. He brought us where we are. He helped us get here. Uh, we didn't get here on our own. And so uh, when somebody else is in need, we're a family we're all the same body, and so we're to help one another out uh, any way that we can. Verse 14, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse them not. As much as you want to ask God to send down a lightning bolt in their vicinity, uh, we are to bless them uh, which uh, persecute us. Uh, again, because God will use that persecution as a way to refine us, to make us more like him. Uh, and so the, the person who you think is your enemy is actually helping you get closer to God. And so that's why maybe we should be blessing them because it's a, it's a, it's a good thing that they're persecuting us because uh, God's trying to burn out some things in our life and somehow he allowed that to happen. Why? Because I've got some impurities that God's trying to remove. And so by them persecuting me, God is able actually to work on my heart even more to make me more like him. And so what a blessing that is to be made more like him because of what somebody did to you. Of course, it all uh, is dependent on how you respond to the persecution. You can persecute them right back, and you're going to probably lose ground. And, uh, you know, you'll be walking in circles uh, for a while until we learn that uh, to bless them, that persecutes us. Amen. Musicians, if you would come. Verse 15, rejoice with them that do rejoice. Weep with them that weep. We we don't mind rejoicing. We don't, we don't mind being there for the celebration and the party and the, the balloons uh, and, and being a part of that. But he also says, as a believer, you need to put your hand upon the shoulder of those that are weeping and, and be there with them to comfort them and console them uh, so that they're not alone. Why? Because they, they are not alone. We're, we're all together in this as one body. Be of the same mind one towards another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide honest in the sight of all men. Uh, and so again, being a witness uh, of what God has done for us should be visible in, in all areas and all aspects of our life that we do. If it be possible, as much as it lieth in you, Live peaceably with all men. And so uh, basically Paul says uh, everything that you, you should do, you should try to live peaceably with them. As, as, as far as you got to go, Jesus says you got to forgive somebody 70 times 7. And so 490 times you got to try to live peaceably with that person. Uh, uh, and so... Uh, to go the extra mile, we should be doing our parts. If there's no peace, it should not be because of something we did not do. We should try everything we can in our power and our ability to make sure that we've done everything we can to live peaceably with 
uh, these individuals or whoever it is. Uh, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourself, but rather give place unto the wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in doing so, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Uh, and so obviously we know that let, to let God handle it all and don't return vengeance for vengeance uh, because that's now we're stepping in place of God and, and taking actions on behalf of him, and he's not going to like that either. Uh, so just let God handle the things, and he will handle them. He's a just God, amen. You stand with me tonight. Romans 12, 21. Last, last uh, part of this chapter of how to live as a good member of the church and of the body of Christ. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. If we are living by the words that are written here in chapter 12, then there is no way that we will be overtaken by evil. But it's when we skip out on some verses and we don't do this and we ignore what Paul says here and don't do that and that, uh, then we can find the battle a lot harder than what it really should be. Because if we adhere verse by verse, word by word, to all Paul is saying how you should live, uh, we're, gonna, we're not going to let something that we abhor, something that we hate, we're not going to allow that to overtake our lives. Who in their right mind would allow something that they hate and despise so much to just, oh, come in and take over my life. If we are fervent in spirit, if we are continuing in prayer, if we are boiling over for God, then there is no way that we're going to be overtaken by evil. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Uh, and so as long as we live by the word of God and adhere to it and, and be uh, obedient uh, to it and listen to what it says, we're not going to be overtaken by evil, but we will overtake evil with good and by the help of the spirit of almighty God. And so as for this wretched world that we are living in and we are called to separate ourselves from, God knows what we need, and God knows where we are going. And, and I'm going to say that wherever we are going, as a people and as, as a church, as a, as a nation, and as a world, wherever that is, I know and I trust that it's going to be better for our soul and better for our walk with God, wherever God is trying to take us. It's going to be better for us. If you have to face persecution, hey, that just means we're going to be more like Jesus. It's going to be better for our soul and better for our walk than where we have been in the past. We might lose some comforts along the way. And you know what I say to that? I say good because we don't need them where we're going because God will be there to comfort us. We have the comforter inside of us. It may get a little chaotic, and you know what I say to that? Good. That's going to help me seek out the peace of God in my life. It doesn't matter how crazy it is out there. I need to learn how to find the peace of God in my own life, in my own prayer life, in my own walk, in my own home. We might get weak and weary along the way. And you know what I say to that? I say good, because then we'll learn uh, what to, to lean upon him. We'll learn what that verse truly means, that when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, God has equipped us in this church to be victorious in an environment, in any world, in any government, in democracy, the church is going to be triumphant. In, a, in tyranny, the church is going to be triumphant. In a dictatorship, the church is going to be triumphant. Why? Because that's what God has called us to be. That is our destiny. God is going to build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we can be oppressed on every side, and we can be persecuted, and, and that's all. We can be all surrounded by the gates of hell, but even still, the church is going to be victorious. 
Even when the enemy may come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord is going to lift up a standard against it. And so that doesn't sound like defeat. That sounds like victory to me. And that's what God has called us to. He's called us to be victorious. He's given us spiritual gifts to empower us, to equip us, to strengthen us, to fortify us against every attack that the enemy is going to ever try to do. And so we're not going anywhere but forward in victory in Jesus' name. And so that is why the church, we have to stick together greater than ever before. We've got to grow together. We've got to pray more. We've got to fast more. We've got to seek him more uh, because this year we don't know what it holds, but we know that God holds us in his hands and everything's going to work out for the good. Amen? We, do you believe we're going to see great things happen? We're going to go through valleys. We're going to go through hardships. But, hey, we're going to come out in the end. Amen? Do you believe that with me tonight? Let's worship the Lord. Let's thank him for what he's done and what he's going to do in our lives because we truly don't deserve to be here but by the grace and mercy of God. Hallelujah. We give you praise, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We're going to be victorious through your power, through your spirit. You're going to rise us up, raise us up in these past days, Lord. to live. your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Help us to live by it, God, and not just be hearers, but be doers of it. Hallelujah. Help us, Lord, to adhere to Romans chapter 12 
and live out the life, God, that you've called us to live. We thank you. We give you the praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Let's go out and live the life that God has called us to live. Amen. We see that in Romans chapter 12. God bless you all. You're dismissed tonight in Jesus' name.